0: Hi, my name is Nina Boski, and I'm the host of a special investigation series of Marilyn Behind the Icon during the 60th anniversary of the star's death, where we'll look into the mystery and break down for you, the audience, of what the facts are versus the lies around the star that have been plaguing her for over six decades. We have some of the top Marilyn experts with me on the panel. Gary Vitaka Robles, icon, lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe. And April Via Via, now Chambers, Marilyn Monroe, A Day in the Life. And Donald McGovern, Murder Orthodoxies, a non conspiracy view of Marilyn Monroe's death. Each week, we will break down for you what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish. Rumor. In this episode, we're using the panel again from Goodnight Maryland Radio to break down Marilyn Monroe's last day in detail. We have licensed mental health counselor and bestselling author, icon lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two, Gary Vitaka Robles, Immortal Marilyns, Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kaspirowitz, as well as author David Marshall. And David Marshall was one of the first people to start a online investigation into Marilyn's death and presented a. Years worth of online discussions based on Marilyn Monroe's last days in his book called the DD Group, an online investigation into the death of Marilyn Monroe. Today, we're picking up on the six o'clock hour when Ralph Roberts, her masseuse called, and instead of Marilyn or Eunice Murray answering the phone, Dr. Greenson answers and tells Ralph Roberts that Marilyn is not there. David, I'll start with you. Why would Dr. Greenson say she's not home when Ralph was planning on seeing Marilyn? Why not just say she's not feeling well, etc?
1: Pretty much anything that you ask about Dr. Greenson, it's going to lead you to the, back to the idea that the man is really strange. He was renowned, he was great in his field, but he was also extremely manipulative. And possibly one of the reasons is on this day, he wanted to keep Maryland possibly in crisis as separate from the outside as possible. But again, trying to figure out any of the motives of uh, Dr. Greenson is near to impossible.
0: So the rest of the panel, or Gary, I'll ask you this question. Why is it that Dr. Greenson, given the fact that he wanted to get going with his night, wanted to leave, wouldn't it be nice if Marilyn was in crisis that, you know, somebody like Ralph Roberts, that could be very comforting to her, that, uh, and Ralph Roberts, for everybody that's listening that may not know who Ralph Roberts is or remember, Ralph Roberts was Marilyn's personal masseuse. So given the fact that they were going to be um, barbecuing that day, why wouldn't, he invite Ralph to be that uh, person to comfort her?
2: Well, apparently, Greenson's role was to separate Marilyn from Ralph Roberts. She really loved him Patricia Newcomb told me just the depth of their relationship. They had like a brother and sister relationship. And I don't know if Greenson really wanted her to rely more upon him. Uh, I'm not quite sure what he felt was unhealthy about that relationship or why he wanted to put a wedge between them. But Eunice Murray and Ralph Roberts uh, hadn't met many times. I think Greenson wanted to align Marilyn more with Eunice Murray, who then could report back to him.
0: Wow. And uh, Leslie, what are your thoughts on that? I I tend to agree with Gary. I
3: really think he was trying to cut her off from some of the other people who were influential in her life. Um, He wanted to be the main influence in her life, I believe. And there's also, you know, been some talk that she was thinking of ending her association with Greenson around this time. So it's very possible he didn't want Ralph Roberts to have any say in that matter to encourage her to do so.
0: All right. Well, that's very interesting in terms of, you know, territory and who's who and who the players are. So about 7 o'clock that night, Dr. Greenson leaves Marilyn's home. Mary Jane, anything to add on that? Where was he going and why did he leave? Um, He
4: said that he had a dinner party to attend with his wife that evening. The police reports state that he was at her home from 4.30 to about 10 after 7.00.
0: And then i got a question for you with this. David, at 6.30 p.m., Pat Newcomb departs Marilyn's home. Why is that?
4: I
1: think it's the same reason as Dr. Greenson wanting to separate her both from Ralph Roberts and Joe DiMaggio and anybody else who had an influence with her. It's likely that Marilyn was still somewhat uh, upset with uh, with Pat Newcomb, and I can see that as a reason it's, uh, for Greenson asking her to leave.
0: And Leslie, anything to add to that? Uh,
3: yeah, well, I think that Pat was probably on her way out anyway. She'd already spent the night and, and kind of uh, been putting Marilyn out a little bit with having her there and being sick. So uh, it's very possible that it was just something that she was going to leave either way. But I do think that uh, it comes back to Greenson trying to separate her from uh, from other people in her life who had an influence on her. And Pat was definitely one of those people.
0: All right. So Mary Jane, so we're back at Dr. Greenson. Greenson leaves. Then what happens? After Greenson left at
4: about 7.10, around 7.15, Marilyn got a collect call from her stepson, Joe DiMaggio Jr., and she spoke to him for about 15, 20 minutes. He was calling to tell her that he had uh, broken off his engagement. And Marilyn was happy about that because she thought he was too young to get married. And by his account, she was normal, pleasant conversation, seemed, you know, just like herself. There was nothing unusual about the call.
0: All right. And then, um, Gary, in regards to Dr. Greenson and her session, obviously they had sessions on almost a daily basis Uh, that day. They had a longer session, which is two hours, which is not unheard of for her to do that. What is it that is either in speculation or probable that they were talking about that she was, quote, so upset about?
2: Well, the story we hear most often is that there is tension between her and Pat Newcomb. There's also speculation that possibly she's distancing herself from the treatment, possibly even wanting to withdraw her services with Greenson. There's talk of her possibly wanting to withdraw uh, Eunice Murray as the housekeeper. Uh, Eunice Murray did have a a planned trip to Europe later on in in the fall, so she was going to be going on leave uh, regardless.
0: You know, this is kind of interesting because you know, when you look at some of uh, Dr. Greenson's records, he was not happy. He wanted to kind of be done with her, to uh, rid himself of so much responsibility. Leslie, why is that that he was then still being territorial with her at the same time?
3: Uh, well, again, as as David said earlier, it's very hard to guess at Greenson's motivation for anything, Uh, but I I don't think that he necessarily wanted to be done with her. I think that she was obviously a a, a difficult patient, but at the same time, he had drawn her into the sort of treatment that had led to her extreme dependence on him. So I think it was kind of an odd relationship of codependence in a way uh, Mm -hmm. where there may have been some part of him that may have wanted to be a little free of her, but at the same time, I, I don't think that he was truly ready to let her go.
0: So let's move into Joe DiMaggio Jr. calls. They have a pleasant conversation for about thirty minutes. That leads us up to about seven forty-five. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So at seven forty-five, Peter Lawford calls Marilyn. Is that right, David?
1: I would say it was a little bit later. Yeah, so Lawford calls the house, uh, and what has been written up is he was asking her if she wanted to come over to the Lawford house for dinner. seems like it would make more sense if he was concerned, he was a good friend of her, as was his wife, to be calling the house to make sure that she's okay.
2: The statements by Lawford, you know, originally he says that he calls around 7 o'clock. That doesn't fit with the timeline. This is what he says to the press in 62. Many years later, he says that they spoke at 5 o'clock, and then he called back possibly around
0: 7.30. Why is it that Peter Lawford calls his lawyer instead of calling the paramedics? Mary Jane, what do you think about Peter Lawford?
4: Yeah, it's always been very strange that if he was so concerned about her well-being. Why didn't he just go over there himself? Or, you know, he said the phone went dead and it was a busy signal, but it's, it's pretty well known. Marilyn had two phone lines. And if he called his lawyer who was able to call and speak to her housekeeper, why didn't he himself just call the other phone line and speak to the housekeeper? It's, it's, very muddled and doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. He changed his story on that a couple of times. Uh, In one interview, he said it was because of him being part of the Kennedy family. In another one, Milton Evans said that he was, sorry, Milton Evans told Peter Lawford not to go because you know how agents are. I can't give any more insight into what that means, but... Um, I do also want to note that uh, Peter Lawford is pretty well-known for having a severe addiction problem. And Mm -hmm. as the years went on, I think that really came into play with some of the statements he made and some of the inconsistencies. So generally, I tend to take anything he said with a grain of salt
0: What's the official account of what exactly went on from 7.45 to about 8.45 p.m. with Peter Lawford, Mickey Rudin, and Milton Ebbins? Was the attorney Milton Ebbins at Peter Lawford's, which I think is kind of odd if he was?
2: Yeah, it was a dinner party with the NARS, a couple... George Durgam, and Milton Evans and his wife, who was a big band singer. I think her name was like Lynn Sheridan. So this was a dinner party going on. And I think what's significant, there's two Miltons here, so it makes it very confusing. There's Lawford's manager, Milton Evans, but there's also Milton Rudin, who is Marilyn's attorney. But the biggest significance, I think, is that Milton Rudin is the brother-in-law of Dr. Greenson, so I'm not sure if they were really trying to get in touch with Dr. Greenson, who was out, but they happened to have direct access to Milton Rudin, who was at another dinner party. Lawford's story changed. At first, he says that he's talking to Marilyn and her voice kind of fades off and it sounds as if the phone goes dead. But then many years later is when he recounts the, the say goodbye to the president line, which he did not reveal back in the 60s.
0: Yeah, which I think is odd in itself. So, you know, those phone calls are happening somewhere between 7.45 and 8.45 p.m., 9 o'clock. David, anything you want to add as we start to move on to what is actually going on during this time?
1: Well, I want to talk just a little bit more about this Lawford call. If in '62 it would have been really nuts for him to have mentioned anything about the president in his last conversation with Merrill Monroe. So when he finally does that, that's in the—I I forget now if it's '75 or '76—that he brings up the say goodbye to the president uh, idea. And by that point, both the president and Robert Kennedy and Marilyn are all gone. The other thing to keep in mind is. Peter heard Marilyn in distress and was upset enough, the first person he would have turned to would have been Robert Kennedy, and I think it's really possible that Robert Kennedy would have been the one that says, no way, nobody, you're not going to be in touch with her, and for him to suggest that uh, then the lawyers and uh, the agents step in.
0: There you have it. Peter Lawford being one of the last people to talk to Marilyn before she passed away. And we are going to get to some of the more murky areas. But I have something that I'd like to share with the audience. For those of you who have watched the Netflix documentary, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, those tapes come from Anthony Summers' book, goddess and they were done back in the mid 1980s. We got a chance to listen to them and Milton Green was talking about the fact that years later he was having dinner with Peter Lawford in New York and they were in a booth and it was when Peter Lawford was heavily drinking and he was just filled with so much guilt because he felt like, oh my gosh, I could have done something different. And he just felt like he didn't do enough. And when you think back at that night, there were people that were called. He was in distress to calling her. And yet the lawyer and the agent said, no, you stay there. A couple of reasons. She's Marilyn Monroe, and he's a married man, and that would not look good. And he is connected to the Kennedys. But more importantly, he was also drinking, and he shouldn't be in a car driving. I'd like to bring in my fellow producer of this investigation series, Randall Libero. Hi, Randall.
5: Hi, Nina. Hi, everybody.
0: We've already talked a lot about Marilyn's Last Day, not only in the Goodnight Marilyn radio series, but also in our dramatic episode. Tell us a little bit about why and how the audience can listen to that, because that'll give them some insight, too.
5: Episode eight, also called Marilyn's Last Day of our dramatic series, is filled with all sorts of detail and information that Gary Pitaka Robles provides. And it's a good episode to supplement the conversations that we're having right now in the investigation series. So you can stop this episode and go listen to that one and come back to this one. You'll get a lot of background and a lot of helpful information supplementing what we're talking about today.
0: You know, one of the reasons why I like that for the audience to go ahead and listen, because the dramatic episode gives you an idea of not just us talking information, but it almost puts you in the setting and you feel like you're kind of like a fly on the wall. And a lot of that information in that last day is in that episode. So you can really kind of feel and understand what Marilyn was going through in her last day. So let's talk about Greenson. Okay. Dr. Ralph Greenson. He's quite a character and he doesn't get a lot of play in the Maryland books and Maryland documentaries. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but he's an interesting one and we should really spend a little bit more time probably in later episodes talking about him, but more importantly, his relationship with Marilyn Monroe. And he was quite the psychiatrist back in the day. He was not only Marilyn Monroe's psychiatrist, but famous stars. And back then they would actually go to therapy every day. But now you have Ralph Roberts, It's widely known that Ralph Roberts, Marilyn's masseuse, they were close in terms of Marilyn's world. Nobody disputes that. And yet Greenson, and this makes it so challenging, is that Greenson answers the phone when Marilyn was supposed to have plans with him that night and says that she's not there. And so it plays into this whole thing of why,
5: Let's play the clip, a tape of Ralph Roberts talking about his relationship with Marilyn straight from the man himself. Let's check that out right now. That last weekend, I think she was in better shape than all of those years I'd been around. And she was very excited about having her own house after all. I remember her saying that it's so good laughing again. I called her at uh, six o'clock and uh, greenson answered she said she's not here uh, it could have been so easily that she was busy which i would have accepted if she's not here
0: no.
5: um, it would be easier to believe that she committed suicide but i don't I think somebody done her in. So that was Ralph Roberts. And of course, he ends with something very powerful, what he feels about Marilyn's end. And that has set off the conspiracy theorists in all sorts of different directions, of course. But one of the things that, we cover in the dramatic series episode is Marilyn's mental state and the Greenson visit that day. And Gary has done a terrific job in that episode of explaining what was happening for Marilyn that day. And of course, we have a whole scene with Pat Newcomb in Marilyn having a conversation and something that in our way of writing that episode may have transpired.
0: You know, when you think about back in 1962, standards were very different. People would actually receive B12 shots laced with heavy barbiturates, and that was the norm. Back then, they'd give you you know, downers to go to sleep and uppers and speed to start your day. When you put it in today's standards, it looks a little odd. However, the one thing that we do know, she was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder, Gary Vitaka Robles talks a lot about borderline personality back then they didn't have that disorder and it wasn't characterized in the psychiatric, uh, and you know, uh, mental health as it is today and she certainly had a lot of uh, anxiety and there's something known as a mixed episode where you actually go to high mania and you then swing back to you know some of the the very big you know kind of lows that sometimes happens with bipolar and so a lot of people have a real big issue with this because they say Oh, she was so happy that day, or she was such a tortured soul. And I think we love to put people into boxes. And the one thing that I know from doing this series and learning about Marilyn after all these years, Randall, <laughs> is that you certainly can't put Marilyn Monroe in a box.
5: It's very true. So I'd like to give the audience now a reveal for this episode, the prescriptions from Dr. Hyman Engelberg. So this was her doctor who was prescribing her medication. Now, on several occasions, in interviews, and there's even a video on YouTube, he denies about prescribing chloral hydrate. Why is this important? Because Nembutal, which was found at Marilyn's bedside, and chloral hydrate, which was also found at Marilyn's bedside, a combination of those drugs is lethal. So the drugs are at her bedside that could have killed her if they were taken together. And we even have the signed prescription for chloral hydrate that has gone to auction has been sold. So we know for a fact that this is true. There's n- absolutely no doubt.
0: Dr. Michael Hunter does a really good job, you know, the autopsy, the last hours on the Reels channel, not explaining the mental health of Marilyn, but the actual reason why those two drugs combined are lethal. And chlorohydrate was one of the drugs that also was involved in Michael Jackson's passing. So when you think about the standards of today, those two doctors, Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg, would be put up on charges probably today for how they handled Marilyn's death. And the other thing that we haven't said is Dr. Engelberg was going through a divorce. He was distracted, but Dr. Greenson was away for the first half of the summer. There wasn't the kind of communication that was promised that they were going to be talking about her drug supply. What I heard, I think it was from Joan Greenson, is Dr. Greenson would come in and see Marilyn and would know that she had all these drugs. And he was known, I think it was his daughter that said this, that he would pour part of the bottle of pills and put them in his pocket and then give her the rest. I mean, if that's not enabling at its best, I don't know what is, Randall.
5: Yeah, well, you know, he could have poured one bottle into the other bottle and had the chloral hydrate and the nebutol together in one bottle and she took one of each. I mean, who knows? He was the last person to see her. There's if that anybody- is a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. Anybody who looks culpable and something happening to her and who's responsible, he's the last person with her.
0: These doctors, regardless of what you think, if they have anything nefarious happened to to Marilyn Monroe. Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg do play a role in her death and the responsibility of her death. Every person who is taking those types of drugs are responsible for themselves. So Marilyn Monroe is, is ultimately responsible for her. But when you have the care being put and you have, by the way, 900 pills being prescribed three months before her death and 700 of them are sleeping pills I'm sorry. Regardless of the standards of those times, even Doctor Reef Kareem, when we were doing the Goodnight Maryland radio show, Randall basically said they should have known better. Yes. So, according to Donald McGovern, uh, you can go to his site Maryland from the twenty-second row. We have another reveal, don't we? I mean, this is kind of a doozer. I didn't even know this one. Until I
5: didn't the- <laughs> know it until this week because I'm reading Donald's material. But we all know Sergeant Clemens, who was the first at the death scene, allegedly. But here's something else there are actually three official death reports one by lead detective Sergeant Robert Byron. Yeah, filed two. I didn't know about one that on, one. One on August 5th and a follow up report on August 6th. And then Officer J.R. Bruckles filed one death report apparently on behalf of Sergeant Byron. So There's copies of the actual reports on Donald's website. You can look at them and read them and read what they say. So if you are curious about them, go take a look. So right now, I'd like to tell you about our next episode. We're going to be looking at the shifting timeline of Marilyn's passing. And this has been a conundrum for many biographers and investigators and journalists and looking at her life. So Nita, why don't you tell us a little bit about our next episode?
0: Well, Randall, it's where it gets a little murky. And for most of us, it does, because this is where the outlandish rumors really start to take shape. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where Marilyn actually goes into a a coma and some of the stories and evidence that we have that we can help the audience make sense of what is actually happening and where the holes are in the story. And we will do our best to break down what is a fact, what is a probable theory and what is an outlandish rumor.
5: You know, it's been 60 years and all these biographers have written about Marilyn's life. And one of the things that she said herself, she talked about the truth and she said, because the true things rarely get into circulation, it's usually the false things It's hard to know where to start, you know, if you don't start with the truth. So we're following Marilyn's suggestion, starting with the truth, telling that to you and sticking to the facts as much as we can.
0: For Behind the Icons special investigation series, I'm Nina Boski with Randall Libero and the entire expert panel. We'll see you next week and the truth will be known.